What's up, guys? It's Downtown Josh Brown. We're here for another edition of What Are Your Thoughts? I'm here with Michael Batnick, as always. Michael doesn't know what I'm going to ask him. I don't know what he's going to ask me. Stick around. Let's see what's happening. All right, I'm going first. Um, Peter Schiff's tweet this week or weekend, so I can't stand the guy, but it was a great tweet because he simultaneously trolled two very different populations. Um, I'm just going to, real quick, let me just, we'll throw it on screen. I just lost all the Bitcoin I have ever owned. My wallet got corrupted and somehow my password is no longer valid. So now not only is my Bitcoin intrinsically worthless, it has no market value either. I knew owning Bitcoin is a bad idea. I just never realized it was this bad. Let me tell you why I love this tweet. (laughs) Um, Because the responses, I was definitely here for the ratio. The responses were one of two things. Half the people are like trying to help him, like seriously. They don't realize he's trolling. They're like, oh, use your seed number or whatever. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think he's trolling. Oh, he totally is. No way. All right, so you're in the first half. The other half were people like, okay, boomer. Uh, I lost my AOL password. I guess that means the internet is worthless. Like, he got like both response. And of course, my man Pomp was the top response. You forgot your password? So I. I almost feel like it was an epic troll, but then you and Ben seem to think, no, he's being dead serious. No, no, no. Ben thinks he's trolling. Ben thinks he's yeah, trolling. I, I do not, he's not funny. I think it actually did happen, but that it's such a small amount. He doesn't care. And it was just like a, a, a great troll of the Bitcoin crowd because there's like this gold versus Bitcoin thing happening. I don't know. So I believe that it happened. So I do I. Okay, so you agree with me. I don't yeah, think- Yeah, but the tweet was like deliberately sent- to antagonize people yes, that think yes, Bitcoin's yes, a store yes, of value. Yes. yes. Um, I, anyway, uh, not a fan, but big fan of the tweet. By the way, the way that this works is you ask me what my thoughts are. Well, you you really thought that like he was being serious. Like he wasn't asking for help though. Let's just move on. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. I just wanted to talk about the tweet. I guess. Yeah. Clearly. Fine. Okay. Uh, trillion dollar companies. Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon's like a hair behind. So the next in line are Facebook at 633 billion, uh, Alibaba 610, Berkshire's 560, Tencent is 493. Where's Where's Amazon? Uh, it it's like nine something. So it's it's going to be Amazon. I don't think anything else is close enough. Didn't ask the question yet. Okay. My question is this: Are we going to see these big four fall under a trillion first, or are we going to see the next four catch up? Oh my God, I think they'll fall under a trillion before you'll have eight trillion. Like, just the size of the economy. I don't think you could have eight companies worth a trillion. Market cap to GDP? Even, uh... Well, so, oh, here's an interesting thing. People say, like, Buffett's measure of when the market's too expensive, because he, like, mentioned it once. Yeah. Was market cap to GDP. First of all, it wasn't. It was market cap to GNP, uh, gross national product, which is a statistic that I don't think anyone keeps anymore, or people don't pay attention to it. But that is maybe from the 70s or early 80s before globalization. If you want to play that game and look at market cap to GDP, I feel like you have to do global GDP. If you're talking about Apple, how much of Apple's sales are outside the United States? What is the relevance of U.S. GDP if the biggest market cap names are global businesses? Follow-up question. Will Apple get to $2 trillion in market cap like ever? I don't mean like in 50 years. I mean like within the next 10. Well, they're doing everything they can not to, right? Because they're buying back shares so quickly. But but it doesn't matter. Back, they're returning hundreds of billions of dollars to shareholders. Will they or won't they? 
I think it's easier to ask the question like, will it be a five hundred dollars stock? Because how like how does it how does the stock do materially better from here? Well, they can continue to to eradicate the share count and and buy back shares, and so the price can go up without the market cap going up. But last year, obviously, the market cap went up substantially. Um, I I don't know. So I'll put that in my too hard pile. Um, I wanted to ask you about the Ringer. I know you're a massive Bill Simmons fan. You, how many different Ringer podcasts do you listen to? I listen to Simmons and The Big Picture and The Rewatchables. Okay, you don't listen to any like the football guy, like the specialist. I used to listen to Tate and Lombardi, but they're not there anymore. Okay, so word on the street is that The Ringer's for sale. Spotify um, is interested. They had talks last year with AT and T, and ESPN potentially could be interested. And the price talk is between 100 million and 200 million dollars. So I did some back-of-the-envelope math, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Okay. According to my calculations, your podcast with Ben, Animal Spirits, is worth in the neighborhood of $25 million based on uh, the multiple-to-revenue. I'll take it. My question. <laughs> you have anything else? <laughs> well, what are, you, what, are your, what are your thoughts on having a, a very undervalued media property? We're so undervalued. Do Wait. You, do you think, so they're doing $15 million. Oh, this is what I wanted to really ask you. Everyone's like racing to make a podcast, but most of them aren't doing it for ad revenue, right? Because there are 30 Ringer podcasts and they're doing $15 million a year. Yeah, I would guess that 80% of it is his. So like no, no one, if, if you get that big and you're still barely making money, like we're doing revenue, why would anyone else starting a podcast think like they're about to make a fortune? Like no one I don't think anyone money. really thinks that. There's like five people making yeah. money in podcasts, yeah. right? Yeah. And the Ringer is one of those five. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so you got to keep your day job, yes. I guess. All right, go ahead. Uh, okay. Jeffrey Patak did his uh, study on active managers, and U.S. large-cap active managers did 25% last year on average. It's great. Um, S&P did 31, so they lagged by quite a bit. But I wrote yesterday that the whole active-passive debate is a huge distraction to what really matters. Like, in other words, if somebody is a well-behaved investor, meaning, like, they're not jumping in and out of different mutual funds, they're not timing the market, like, they say that, like, we like the strategy and we're going to stick with it, they're going to be fine, assuming, like, the market does well. Like, that's not what's going to bring somebody down. I have always said this. Actually, when's the last time you think I've done a blog post on the active-passive debate? I think it's three years. I think we, like, it was a, a dead horse already, and then we just kept yeah, beating it. And feeding it poison yeah, and ripping its hair out. But like, the, the other thing that n- never comes up, like some active managers do outperform. Well, if the average did 25% last year, does that mean half did better? I forget what the number. No, no, no. It was... Was, uh, was it the median? It, I, f- I think the number was 30 to 40%. I forget what it was. 30, 30 or 40% of U.S. large cap managers did better than... T- did better than... Uh, no, did better than the index. Did better than the 31% that yeah. the S&P... Right. So, in other words, could you have predicted those thirty or forty in advance, thirty or forty percent of no. Man- no, you couldn't have. But there's a good chance that if you were allocating to active large cap U.S. stock funds, there's like a one in three chance that your manager did outperform. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I understand why people spend so much time on this topic, us included, and I also understand now why. All right, we all get it. There's nothing really left to say about this. You either want to have somebody in charge of the stocks or you want to have an index. And like, if you haven't made that choice yet, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, inside ETFs next week. 
So, uh, is the ETF on the verge of wow, being— Wow, your voice just went way up. <laughs> is, the, is the ETF on the verge of uh, technological disruption vis-a-vis direct indexing? And when we go to these events, each one of them could be like kind of the, the last hurrah? Or no. is that overstated? I don't think so. You don't think so? Not, not even— no, I, def- I absolutely don't think so. Do you think that there will always be a separate use case for direct indexing and for ETFs and that there'll be a big enough opportunity for both yes. to still be a thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because... I mean, ETFs disrupt the mutual funds and there's still how many trillions of dollars? So It's such a glacial displacement. Like, they'll be, they'll be actively managed mutual funds for another 20 years, right? Yeah. So, but can ETFs continue to... If wealth managers who are clearly driving the flows... Mm-hmm. If wealth managers in large amounts start to incorporate more direct indexing into their practice because the technology's gotten better, the costs have come down, they're more, you know, it used to be just parametric, now there's more ways to do it. Um, could we have seen the peak of flows into ETFs? Nah, I don't think so. You, you don't? I mean, or, there's obviously a ton of room for direct indexing to, even if it got like a 1% share, it'd be a, a, an enormous number. But, so. So inside ETFs is next week. I'm going to be paying attention to see if anyone's talking that way and to see if they're, they have any direct index. I guess like there. iShares and Vanguard don't, don't need to be worried about it. Can I tell you something funny? I'm interviewing Howard Lindzen. Shout out to Howard. Uh, and I'm interviewing him about being a financial advisor. And I think Lindzen's been a financial advisor for like 15 minutes. Uh, Howard launched an RIA with our friend Charlie Bolello. Um, so I said, to, I said to the organizers, I'm like, you want Howard to interview me? I don't really understand what's going on here. Uh, but I guess we'll, we'll get his take on wealth management now that he's joined uh, the wealth manage- now, now that he's joined the RIA bubble. Uh, we'll, we'll see what his thoughts are. Okay, I wanted to ask you about um, Andrew Yang's freedom dividend. Not, not necessarily what you think about it politically, but he had a long interview with the Washington Post. And I just want to, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on his thesis. So the reason why he's doing it is because he thinks so many people are going to be, so many workers are going to be displaced by technology. And here's what he said. What many people cite is they say, hey, the United States of America has been through this before with the Industrial Revolution. What they don't seem to remember is that the Industrial Revolution at the turn of the 20th century included mass riots that killed dozens of Americans, caused the equivalent of billions of dollars worth of damage, led to the origination of labor unions uh, that fought for workers' rights, Labor Day as a national holiday, and the implementation of Universal High School in 1911, in part to try to educate a population that was struggling with the transition. Uh, And then he goes on to say, this fourth industrial revolution will affect two to three times that number of workers on an annual basis than that one did. So even if you were to use history as your template, you'd expect there to be massive problems during this time. Transitions are tough. I don't think universal basic income or the freedom dividend that, first of all, I like Andrew Yang, and I love his ideas, and I hope whoever gets the nomination for uh, the party, it's not going to be him, will either have him involved or um, listen to him. Um, but So what do you think about his, his general thesis? Well, it's ahistorical. So he's going to say this time is different. A um, hundred years ago, there were like blacksmiths in America. Like there were literally people who woke up, spent nine hours that day shoeing horses. Like I understand that the transition for them to find something new to do was probably tough. It would be tough for me to figure out what to do after this if, if I were forced to. So, like, I don't ever minimize the suffering and struggle that comes along with technological displacement, but I don't think that you can change the fact that 
people are at their best when they're working. And so rather than giving people money to do watercolor and, and dance classes, like I feel like we should be focused more on retraining. Is it realistic to train 10 million people to change their career from one year to the next? Probably not. So it's going to be a long period of time. I don't think everyone should be a coder. Um, and I don't think that you could change the fact that this does happen and it's hard. Like it's, I don't think you can paper over it with a check. Now, the one thing that I think is smart about his proposal for the freedom dividend, it's not means tested. Everybody gets it. Mm. And if so, if you're going to do something like that, um, it's essential that everyone gets the check, not just the people who need it. Why? So there's no stigma? Yeah, because then it's welfare. And then it's, well, then it's us versus them. I didn't get it. Why am I Com- paying for them? Completely. Like, why am I paying for this? For this so asshole to, to do nothing. It would day. make like it would make the divide even worse. It would make it worse. Yeah. It, so I now, but the other side of that is like Michael Bloomberg is going to get a freedom dividend, which is fucking crazy. Like he's the well, fifth. he's yeah, but he's, they're also going to be the ones paying for it. So now the answer to that is maybe like the people that really don't need the money give it back, or so I don't know. It's it's so sloppy. I don't think it's realistic. Maybe things will get bad enough that we'll have to do that someday. I just don't – I don't see it. Most of the people I know in the workforce are doing jobs that didn't exist 20 years ago. Um, most of what we're doing and spending our time doing to build the firm, these, there were, these are methods and tactics and uh, strategies that weren't possible even 10 years ago. So I just feel like the transition will suck. No one's rooting for riots. But the answer is not here's $2,000 a month. Like, I, I just don't see what what problem that solves. So, anyway, that, that's that's my take. You got anything else? Okay, guys, what do you think of these topics? We love your feedback. Get down there in the comments. Let us know. Go ahead and give us a subscribe if you haven't. Throw a like on the page. wouldn't kill you. And we'll be back with you very soon.